perhaps you remember uh, being a young child playing on the beach or in the paddling pool in your, in your garden and being completely naked. Perhaps parents are more careful in these evil days, but nonetheless, young children, they possess this kind of innocence that allows them to be naked and, and have no shame. But suddenly at a certain age, without knowing any adult things, children suddenly know, instinctively know, that they need to cover up, they need to dress. Nobody tells them that, they just know. How many of us have suffered one of those awful dreams where suddenly we realise we're naked in public and, and we wake up and we're just so thankful it's a dream? Or perhaps we suffer a wardrobe malfunction and again, we're greatly embarrassed. Because of sin, some people can override the shame and embarrassment of public nudity. But for most of us, we very much like to be covered up. But it wasn't always that way, was it? What does verse 25 of chapter 2 say? Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame, no embarrassment. So what went wrong and what does it mean for us? And I want us to think about this passage, mainly chapter 3, under two simple headings. Firstly, the shame of nakedness. And secondly, the God who covers up. So firstly then, the shame of nakedness. There are all kinds of ideas, aren't there, about where we have come from. And only the Bible reasonably explains the origins of sin and evil embarrassment, shame, the complexity and beauty of life. Reasons for why this world is in such a mess. We've read them here this morning. And yes, even why we're embarrassed to be naked. The answers are all here in God's word. So what went wrong? God gave one simple commandment to Adam and Eve. Verse 16. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God put us in a perfect world, put Adam and Eve in a beautiful garden, a paradise, in a state of innocence. There was no sickness, there was no death. And he created a wife for Adam, for companionship to compliment him. Everything was good. God called it very good. But that's no longer our experience, is it? We cannot look around this world and say things are very good. We live in a world of sin, death, strife, wars, sickness, of tears, of great suffering and evil. And there seems to be no limit to the evil of men and women. And Eve believed lies and I believed we wanted that knowledge that God had forbidden for them. They ate of that fruit and what happened? We have it in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And what happened? The eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. This is where it all went wrong. What was the first thing Adam and Eve noticed? 
but they were naked. Death and sin crashed in on God's perfect creation. And in their embarrassment and their shame, they tried to cover their private parts up with leaves. And that shame and that, and that loss of innocence, it runs like a river, like a river polluted at its source. It runs down through all of time to us. 6,000 years later, we're still aware of our nakedness and ashamed of it. Do you know, we'd die of shame here today, wouldn't we, if our clothes suddenly disappeared? What an awful scene we are let in on here. It's the turning point, the origins of every evil and every awful thing in this world. It's the source of the curse and our own shame and embarrassment and the reason for every disgusting thing we have ever thought or said or done. And it gets worse. It gets worse. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. It's clear, isn't it, before the fall, that they enjoyed God's daily presence and company in the garden. That somehow God, their creator, came down in physical form and, and spent time with them walking in the garden paradise that he'd made. But something has drastically and tragically changed. And that relationship is broken. And Adam and Eve, where are they? They are hiding amongst the trees from God's presence. And they're afraid. What a change. What a tragedy. Verse 10. And he, that is Adam, he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said to, to Adam, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? How awful. That innocence, that perfect sweet fellowship with God, it's been replaced with fear and with shame. And Adam, he's afraid of God. So embarrassed because he's naked. There's something much worse here. Much worse than just shame at being physically naked. Something far deeper. And For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. It's not physical nudity before God that's the real problem here, is it? Think about Job. What did he say? I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The problem here is our spiritual nudity. Adam and Eve lived for hundreds of years after the fall and eventually they did physically die. But when they ate of that fruit, not only did physical death enter the world, but they spiritually died there on the spot. Their souls died and they became guilty before a holy God. And through Adam, he's our representative, we all spiritually died too. Our souls died. That's how we're born. We are polluted with sin, polluted at the source, and we are born spiritually dead, and we are born slaves to sin. And our souls are naked before God. So we, yes, we might be ashamed if our clothes suddenly disappeared, but we can only see the physical. 
But God sees everything. He sees all of our dirty secrets. He sees all of our thoughts, everything we do in private. He sees everything we do behind closed doors. He sees the things we die of shame and embarrassment if other people found out about them. Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed sepulchres. Uh, That's graves that are painted white on the inside, but on the inside they are full of death and decay and filth. Jesus could say this because he sees not only what we choose to show, but Jesus sees our hearts, he sees our thoughts. He sees our dreams, he sees our internet connections, he sees the TV shows we watch, the newspapers we read, the books and magazines, everything, uh, all the things that disgust us. Jesus sees it all. He sees our minds. We have this in Genesis 6. This is Genesis 6 verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in all the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, For I am sorry that I have made them. That's what God sees when he looks at us. He is sorry that he made us. Can I persuade you today that there is something far more serious and far more shameful than being seen naked in public? And that's hard to imagine. God sees every part of us, not just the bits that we choose to show to other people after we've covered up the ugliness and the shame. Perhaps we could take some comfort in knowing that, uh, that we're as bad as each other, that if our sins were exposed, that, that our embarrassment would be limited. But God isn't like us. God is perfect and he is holy. He is spotless. He is without sin. He is light without darkness. He is righteous and just in all of his ways. The Bible says he is a consuming fire. Adam knew it. He was afraid. He hid. Do you and I realize that every part of our lives, all of our sin, all the things we have forgotten, all the things that we want to forget, it is all laid bare before God. And he sees it and he hates our sin. The message of the Bible is one of great love. It is a gospel of good news. But the good news is only good news because there is bad news. And context of this bad news. For we are all in danger. As we are born onto the broad road that leads to destruction. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I want to move on to more encouraging things. This is the good news. We have God who covers up. Adam and Eve, they did their best to cover up their nudity, didn't they? They sewed fig leaves together. But God showed them what it would take to deal with our sin. We have it there in the very last verse of the the passage we read. The very first sacrifice. What did it cost to cover up Adam and Eve's nakedness? Verse 21 And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of 
skin and clothed them. Those animal skins required the death, the sacrifice of a living creature. And God, in his compassion, made clothes for Adam and Eve to cover up their nakedness. He showed them how to cover themselves. But so much more than that, God makes a wonderful promise. We have it in verse 15. God isn't speaking to uh, Adam and Eve here. He's speaking to Satan. I think we've got to put that in our minds to understand what God is saying here. Verse 15, speaking to Satan. I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, Eve. And between your offspring, that is Satan's children, and her offspring. That's just one person. He shall bruise your head. So that's Eve's one child. Shall bruise your head. And you, Satan, shall bruise his heel. That's a difficult verse. Let's unpack it. Enmity. It sounds like what, children? What does enmity sound like? What words that sound like? Enemy? Enemy, yeah, a bit shy. Enemy, okay. That's what it means. In the dictionary it says, a state of feeling, a state or feeling of active opposition or hostility. So, between, uh, between Eve's offspring, one person, and Satan, God is going to, to create this um, is going to create this state or feeling of active opposition or hostility. We know what offspring means. It means children, descendants. But first of all, who are Satan's descendants? This is a, this is a difficult thing. Who are Satan's children? And the shocking truth is this. By natural birth, we are Satan's children. Have I gone too far? I can only tell you what the Bible says. And Jesus didn't mince his words on this. You might be offended by what Jesus said, but he is telling us the truth in love because we need to understand. This is John 8, verse 44. Jesus was talking to the Jewish leaders. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires he was a murderer from the beginning. Look, we're back in Genesis. This is what Jesus is thinking about. The devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in 1 John uh, chapter 3 and verse 10. Uh, sorry, this is, this, is, this is John speaking in his letter. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not his brother. Can you see what's being said here? What Jesus was saying, what John is saying, if we don't practice righteousness, if we are not uh, sinless people, we are all, and we are all sinners, if we fail to love each other, that should tell us who we belong to by nature. But Jesus had something encouraging to say. This is again in 1 John chapter 3, speaking, speaking through John. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, 
For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. We're back in Genesis again. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Do you see it? The devil originated sin in this world from the beginning. But Jesus takes us back to Genesis, to the fall of Adam and Eve. And the reason he came was to destroy the works of the devil. So if by nature we are the devil's children, plural, who is Eve's offspring, singular? Who is Eve's child that God is talking about here? Surely it's Jesus, the one who came from heaven to destroy the damage Satan did. Way back in Genesis, God promised to send Jesus. And what would Satan achieve? In his great hatred, Jesus' heel would be bruised. We, we're going to remember it this morning, how Jesus' heel was bruised as we think about his, his crucifixion. He would suffer terrible, awful things during his trial and as he was nailed to that cross. He would bear the awful weight of our sin in his body on the tree. He would go to hell for us on the cross as God turned his back on him and Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As God turned away his love and he poured out his righteous justice and anger against sin upon Jesus on the cross. Oh, how Satan must have gloated as he watched Jesus on the cross. How he must have rejoiced as he watched Jesus die and he thought he had the victory. And then how he must have puzzled as those graves broke open during the earthquake and people came back to life. How he must have puzzled as God tore that curtain in the temple in two. And, and that way to the holies of holies was opened. And then how Satan must have completely crumpled as death couldn't hold Jesus and the grave broke open. And Jesus came forth victorious from the grave. How his rejoicing must have turned to despair as the realisation of everything God had said in Genesis struck home. Yes, Satan bruised Jesus' heel. But as Jesus conquered death and hell, he crushed Satan's head. We have this beautiful verse in Isaiah 61 and verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. Why? For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. With the garments of salvation. Do you know, salvation, Jesus means a saviour or salvation, Yeshua. You could read this as God, for he has clothed me with the garments of Yeshua. Salvation, Jesus. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as the bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as the bride adorns herself with jewels. Friends are going to get married on Thursday. The bride is going to be dressed beautifully with no spot and no blemish. This is what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. All of our sins were put on Jesus. And what did we get in return? We got his righteousness, cover up our spiritual nakedness to clothe us. 
When we trust in Jesus, when we surrender our lives to him, something amazing happens, something beautiful happens. He takes away our sin. And, and think of the parable of the prodigal son. He comes back and he wants to just be a servant. But God's not like that. He clothes us in Jesus' righteousness. We're given adoption as sons into his family. We're given Jesus' cleanness. He wraps it around us. And we become not a servant, but Jesus is spotless bride. That's what the church is, the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of our guilt, all of our filth, all of our sins are washed away to be remembered no more. Isn't that amazing? All the things we are so ashamed of, gone. They're gone. Can anyone preach a better message to you today? God clothed Adam and Eve with animal skins to cover up their nakedness. But in Jesus Christ, he has provided white robes of righteousness to cover up all of our spiritual nakedness, to cover up all of our guilt and all of our shame. So I plead with you in love. If you don't know, if you can't apply these things to yourself, if you can't sing these hymns with any conviction, if you can't take this communion service because it means nothing to you, Come to the cross of Jesus today. Leave the shame of your spiritual nakedness there. And give Jesus your sin and your shame and your guilt. And receive from him his beautiful, white, pure robes. You can stand before a holy God in. Robes that will permit you safe entry into the wedding feast of the Lamb. Perhaps our friends will have a reception on Thursday. They're not going to let anybody in covered in filthy garments. If you want to enter into heaven, no filthy thing can enter heaven. We must be clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. And in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you've thought, what you've said. It doesn't matter how deep the stain is, how guilty you feel, how filthy you feel. Jesus will wash you clean, cover you in his righteousness, and you will be welcomed into heaven as one of his sons. There are ladies here. Adoption as a son gives you all the rights of a son. It's a, it's a beautiful thing, whether you're a man or a woman, to be adopted as a son into the family of God.